0: The reading this morning can be found in John 17, and we're reading from verse 20. This can be found in the Bibles in front of you. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me.
1: good morning everyone great to see you here let me just get myself organized and then we will pray and we'll start let's pray heavenly father we do thank you we can be here today we thank you for the light and life that comes from your word and as we continue to reflect on this amazing prayer father i pray that you would make us as one and we pray this in jesus name amen Well, you don't have to live long in any Western country to know that when it comes to churches, there's a lot of options available. Now, I did find this uh, quite amusing. If you go to Wales, I can't pronounce the town, but it's on Cross Street. Uh, It's one of those Welsh names that goes on forever and is quite undecipherable to me, but I'm sure the Welsh find great ease. What struck me, though, was literally... Three churches built next door to each other, and what you can see there is on the left the Methodist Church, in the middle there's an Independent Church, and on the right there's a Reformed Church, and they literally are right next door to each other. Now it's not too much different when you go out to country towns, and we're up uh, in Ballina and Lennox Head in uh, December for a holiday, and we drove into Ballina to the old part, and you just go, Oh, there's the Baptist Church, there's the Salvation Army, there's the Catholics there's the Uniting Church. Where are the Anglicans? I can't see them. And literally, you could stand at one point and literally see almost all the churches. The Anglicans are in the next block. And it's the reality of church life in the 20th century. It's fascinating, though. When you go back to the first century, when Jesus founded the church, there was no such thing as a denomination. There were just his followers. And they were called numerous things. One was they were the people of the way. They were walking literally in the way of Jesus. Um... A name that has stuck through history is that of Christians. That was given to the church in Antioch, not by the Christians themselves, but literally from the community. They looked in and saw the Christians, and they were people who followed the Christ. And they were always on about the Christ, and so they became known as the kind of Christ people. And that's how we get the name Christian from Antioch. And that's who we were. We were this motley group, but we were one church. Back in Jesus day, and no doubt there were some disruptions to the sense of oneness um, and you read through the Book of Acts and you can pick up different things that threaten the unity that 's there, but even a thousand years later, at the turn of the millennium, there was only four major branches of the church in operation. But when you get to the second millennium and two thousand and twenty another 1,100 years on, we've got Catholic churches of all kinds of varieties. You've got Orthodox churches of all kinds of varieties. You've got Protestant churches of all kinds of varieties. You've got Anglican churches in that mix, uh, Baptist, Presbyterian, Salvation Army, Reform, Pentecostal, Charismatic, and the list just goes on. And I went and had a look at Wikipedia at all the different denominations, and what struck me was the Baptist. Now, particularly in America, and my Heart goes out, Uh, I love the Americans, and this just kind of amused me, so forgive me if you're an American Baptist here today, Uh, but they listed all the different types of denominations in terms of Presbyterians but the Baptists struck me you've got Southern Baptists they're the big ones you've got the National Baptists then you've got the National Missionary Baptists uh, Convention of America then you've got the National Baptist Convention of America you've got the American Baptist Churches International so you've got some that are missionaries some that are international who knows what that means and then I had to laugh that down the list there were the Cooperative Baptists and you figure where did they fit well they actually were quite small so maybe they didn't cooperate that much and then the smallest group were called the National Primitive Baptists now that's an appealing name isn't it what church do you go to oh I go to my local Primitive Baptist Church needless to say they were the smallest of the Baptists in America it's like a Monty Python movie are you from the Judean people's front nowhere from the people's front of Judea And in the movie, you see that man sitting by himself. He's from the United People Judean Front. (laughs) Splitter. (laughs) I was going to show the movie, but it was not appropriate for language reasons. And I start this way because it is bizarre at one level. And you come to this chapter, chapter 17, and this particular section of the prayer Jesus has prayed for himself, he's prayed for his disciples, and now he prays for all those who will come to believe in him through the preaching of the gospel, in other words, the church today. And if I could ask you a question, if you were to pick one thing to pray for the church, what would it be? Just think, what, what's one thing you think we really need to pray for the church? Because apparently, Jesus thinks it's Unity. Because it's interesting, he's prayed for himself as he approaches the cross. He's prayed for his disciples who were there with him. And Scott spoke so well last week about that. Now he prays for those who will believe as a result of the message of those who are gathered with him. And he simply says in verse 21, that all of them may be one. He wants us, the church, to be one. In other words, to be unified, and yet from a surface look in today's society, the church appears to be exactly the opposite, hopelessly divided at times, bickering on occasions. But unity, when you think about all the denominations, is not a word or a description that often comes to mind. And yet, I think all of us would say, well, we don't want to be part of a disunified church. And I know people have been part of that and it's not a pleasant experience and I want to ask the question really what does church unity actually mean this morning as we think about Jesus prayer here for us to be one and I've got three things I want to go through and I do want to acknowledge Nathan's preaching on this tonight it'll be a great message let me tell you if you've got the energy to come back at night and uh, thanks to Nathan for his thoughts also um, Tim Keller has got some really helpful things to say on this And I just want to give three points. What is church unity? Why is it important? And how is it to be expressed? Firstly, what is church unity? And you can't think about church unity without thinking about that kind of difficult theological topic, which we call the Trinity. And one of the things you may have noticed as you've read through John chapter 17, in fact, numerous parts of John's gospel in general, also John 14 is very uh, rich in thinking about this, is that God... Has revealed himself as Father, Son and Holy Spirit which is what we today call the Trinity. Now that word doesn't appear in the Bible Trinity but the reality of the Trinity is all through the New Testament in the sense that when the disciples reflected on their experience of Jesus and then subsequently the Holy Spirit what they communicated and what they experienced was that God was their Father that Jesus was the Son of God who'd come from the Father and that the Holy Spirit had been sent by them, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son. And we're going to come to that. And I say that because in thinking about church unity and what it is, if I can put it in very simple ways to start with, church unity is a reflection of the reality of who God is. Now, I'm going to unpack that for us. Because the reality is God is three persons in one. And I know it's one of these mind-bending concepts that sometimes people who are new to the Christian faith go, what are you talking about? There's three gods? No, there's not three gods. There's one God. But you said there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Yes, they're all God. They're three persons, but they are one God, united. Now, do think about it, do ponder it, but you won't be able to reach the depths of understanding. Because it's beyond us at one level. There is a mystery to it but it is how God has revealed himself to us that that is who he is. He is Father, he is Son, he is Holy Spirit together as one God. And let's just listen to how Jesus prays. If you've got your Bibles there, open up. We're at page 1084. It's John 17, verse 20 to 26. And I'm just going to read this first half of it slowly. My prayer is not for them alone. In other words, he's prayed for the disciples, as I noted earlier. I'll pray also... For those who will believe in me through their message. And so he's anticipating that there is a mission that goes out from God through the disciples who proclaim what we call the gospel. And he anticipates, he knows that there'll be people who come to faith as a result. Pray for those who will believe in me through the message, that all of them may be one. In other words, no matter who believes, and his call was for the gospel to go to the ends of the world. That they would be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. And so you start to see here the language of what we would call the Trinity. The Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. Just take some time to think about that. So that the world may, and may they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me. This is the Son talking, he's talking to the Father. And he's saying, I've given them, that's the disciples, it'll be the church, the glory that I've had, they're getting it, that they may be one as we are one. I in them, that's the Lord Jesus dwelling in us, and you, the Father, in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. And so the Son, the Lord Jesus is praying to the Father, And we get this insight into who God is. And I want to just put up three things on the screen. Firstly, God is one. And that's what he says there, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. In other words, we are one. We're united. And the Spirit is the Spirit of the Father and the Son. And you read in Acts chapter 14, he comes out from the Father and the Son. And there is this unity in God but he's not just one he's three and you see that in verse 21 you have sent me and so the father is not the son the father sends the son the son does not send the father it's not a reciprocal relationship at that level there's a difference to it and there's a differentiation between the father and the son the father sends the son John 14 26 the Holy Spirit Jesus said, whom the Father will send in my name. And so the Spirit, as I said, comes from the Father in the name of the Son. And so you have this differentiation within God of Father, Son and Holy Spirit. And so the very simple language has been historically he is three in one. And so what you see here, and this is very important as we think about church unity, there is a oneness and a diversity at the very heart of who God is. But the thing to note, and this is a very important thing to note, is at the heart of God what you see is relationship. Uh, This didn't evolve. The Son wasn't created. The Son always was, as in S-O-N, as was the Holy Spirit. He is from eternity. And what that means is from eternity to eternity, in other words, at the heart of reality is what we would call relationship. God relating to himself within the Trinity because at the very heart of God is three persons who relate together from eternity. And so you have these eternal relationships that go on that are other person-centered. They serve each other in ways I won't go on with today, but it's this sense of the Father and the Son glorifying each other in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And so what you see is at the heart of God and hence at the heart of all reality are loving relationships which are born in God. I've given them the glory you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you and me. The father loves the son, the son loves the father, and we get to share in this love. We're, we're actually brought into this relationship. And I don't know if you've thought about this, but uh, you cannot have love without relationships. The, the whole concept of self-love is kind of a bit of a furphy at one level. Um, you can look after yourself, Absolutely. And to know who you are in Christ is so important that you are loved and treasured. But our identity is born out of our relationship with God. And so absolutely, if you're here today, you are valuable and you should see yourself that way as a valued person and a loved person. But that value comes out of the relationship that you're in. Because love does not happen in a vacuum. It happens in the context of a relationship. And without someone else to love, you cannot love. Because love is the service of others. And when you stop and reflect on who God is, you see love in the service of others at the very center of reality. And so the notion that Was born out of um, French existentialism that you know, express yourself, freedom, uh, liberty, and that you find yourself through your own activity and your own self expression, and that the primary objective of life is self expression, is actually against reality. It's why it will only ever end in a sense of meaninglessness because you see, meaning is found through relationship. And through relating and serving and being known and being served. And so what you see is this. At the heart of reality is that the church is called into this relationship with God and we are united with him. We are one with him. And just as God is three persons who are diverse, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, We are united as this diverse group. And we exist in community. You see, unity, our unity, is a reflection of the relationship with the God who is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so what that means is this, um, if I can kind of land this. Unity is not uniformity. And we often think about that way, to be united is to be the same. Well, it's actually the opposite. Being united as the church is not uniformity. It's being one in diversity. And it's not conformity where everyone has to be the same. You see, everyone here is loved by God. Everyone here, if you know the Lord Jesus and have been born again, you're you're part of his family. And you don't have to conform in the sense of become like me or the other. You are who you are. Who we are all to be conformed to is in the image of the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, with your own personality and peculiarities, which I have and you have. And our unity is in our diversity, not our uniformity or being conformed, except to the Son. You see, unity is about being one through Christ as this diverse community who belong to God the Father. And it's a unity that is not found primarily in structures or denominations. And I say that because if you go historically back to the church history in Australia 100 years ago, um, one of the movements was to unite churches structurally. And what happened, though, was that there was no sense of what they were being united by. It was just, if I can say in a general sense, we're Christian, but they had all sorts of different ideas about what that meant. And that's the story of the Uniting Church. And it's got different issues because of that. I won't go into it. But our unity is not primarily structural or denominational. Our unity is actually from the gospel that no matter where we've come from, We've been united with him. We are in Christ through the gospel. We're born again. We know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We, as a result, are brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of our background. Someone said to me when I first came here, and I'm not having a go at the Liberal Party at this, but said, church is the Liberal Party at worship. And I remember thinking, no, it's not. Um, when we come here we don't come as liberal party or labor party and it's interesting when I went to my old church in Wollongong it was the opposite <laughs> they thought you couldn't be Christian and be liberal party voters so it's just fascinating reality um, our unity is not in if I can say our backgrounds and whether we're rich or poor or liberal or green or independent or labor Let me just say, there are reasons why you could be any one of those from a Christian point of view. And there will be reasons why you wouldn't want to be any one of those from a Christian point of view. That's not what our unity is in. And it's irregardless of our economic status or our racial status or our ethnicity or our language or whatever. The beautiful thing about the church is its diversity that finds its unity in Christ that flows out of the reality of who God is father son holy spirit and their beautiful perfect love for each other it's a unity found in the gospel in our common belief a united belief about God that he is father son and holy spirit it's our common united belief about the scriptures that they are our authority that's how how God speaks to us it's our common belief or unity about believing who we are that we are broken and fallen and why there should not be shame here but the church is a place of restoration and healing and forgiveness it's our common united belief about the power of the gospel to bring healing and hope and forgiveness and salvation to anyone who will come It's a unity found in the gospel. And it's got nothing to do with denominations or structures. And it's all to do with who God is and how he draws us into his community. And we find unity in that. And so the obvious question comes, well, if we are so united through the gospel, why are there so many different denominations? Let me say that's a very good question. (laughs) There's historical reasons for it. The church has spread across the world. And many of the different churches are national different groupings of similar groupings if I can put it that way and there's a rightness about if I can say uh, here in Australia we have our independence from the church in England where we first started there's a rightness that uh, we did not try and control the church in Africa though we may have had mission involvement in it being established and so some of it is national but there's other reasons where if I can say historically they've been called secondary issues that Christians have divided on and there's a reality to that that Because of church leadership structures, some have thought, yes, we want to have bishops. Others have said, no, we don't want to have bishops. Doesn't really worry me, but I've got bishops. (laughs) Pray for them. They're good people. And we have good bishops. They need our prayers. We pray for them every Tuesday here at church, at the prayer meeting. There's different beliefs about the sacraments. Some actually don't have sacraments. That might surprise you others do and then others say no you need to do it this way others say you need to do it this way and because of that people say, well we're going to do it this way and others said we're going to do this way Uh, the ministry of the holy spirit there's been differences historically there's been belief differences about how you do ministry and the list goes on and the reality is in one area I just thought here in Manly there's eight different churches from eight different denominations yet the reality is we can actually all be united in the gospel And I have good relationships with the other ministers here in Manly and we pray for each other and I love to pray for them. And we get on well because there's something greater that unites our differences, which is the gospel. And we can work together and pray together as needed. The Anchor RE is a non-denominational ministry that goes and takes Scripture into the school to explain the Bible. And it's from different denominations and we all work together because what unites us is bigger than what divides us or what we sort of have, may have differences in. And I want to put it another way as well. Um, you just think here, particularly in Manly, I was thinking of the churches, Manly Life Baptist. You've got the Congregational Church across the way. Um, you've got the C3, which is down my end and the Queenscliff end. You've got St. Andrew's Presbyterian. You've got St. Matthew's, just to mention a few. And the reality is we're going to reach people they won't reach. They'll reach people we won't reach. When the C3 church started, they were reaching a lot of Brazilian people. I thought, praise the Lord, they're reaching them. We're not. And there are so many people who have no faith, no God, who need Christ. There is a diversity of churches that actually are working for the same cause, to see the kingdom of God grow. And so I have no problems with denominations, but it's actually not where our unity is found. It's found in the gospel. And that's what unites us and that's what we must protect because we must never change the gospel. And while there will be different bits and pieces where we have some differences, it's actually the gospel and our understanding of God through the gospel and the scriptures that bring us together. And that is the boundary of unity, the gospel. Now why is church unity so important? It's a good question, It's very obvious from the passage. Have a look at verse 21 again. That's just one uh, part. He says it, he says it a couple of times. May they also be in us that the world may believe that you've sent me. And I was listening to Tim Keller on this point, and he's got this beautiful phrase. He says, unless the world sees a church that is unexplainably united and loving, it probably won't believe its truth claims. And let me just unpack that. What he's saying is there should be a miraculous quality about the unity that is unseen outside in terms of church uh, community groups. And I'm sure many of us are part of community groups. What they typically are, are people who gather together of one kind and one flavor. And there's nothing wrong with that. Let me just say that. They're very helpful and they provide friendship, community, activity, all sorts of things. Great thing. Not bagging in any way. What is uncommon though is when you see a community that is so diverse that it makes no sense that liberal and labor people are there together loving each other that rich and poor are there together loving each other that black and white are there together loving each other that sporty and cultural nerds are there together loving each other And you just think about all the different lines that we divide on, old and young together, loving each other. It's one of the reasons I don't like calling Night Church a youth service. Old people are welcome and they love having them there. Let me just say, at night, I am old, okay? And the eight o'clock congregation loves having young people come. And when you see that, that unity in diversity, you go, well, I've never seen anything like that. Where people genuinely care and share and love. It's a miraculous unity. And the church should be unexplainably united and loving to the world. And the reason is this we have enormous truth claims that we ask the world to believe. Let me just mention a few: the incarnation, the fact that God Himself came amongst us. It's a mind-boggling truth. How on earth are you meant to get your head around that? The Trinity I've mentioned: that God is three in one. The atonement: that God sent His Son to die on a cross and pay for our sins, and that through that they're completely wiped clean, and that anyone can have their slate wiped clean. The resurrection: in an age that struggles to believe in a miracle, that Jesus bodily, physically rose from the dead that there is a moral order to this world which absolutely is under threat and challenge in a world that says no do whatever you want and we say actually no there's an ordering to how this world works in terms of relationships, morality, ethics let alone the fact that we're saying Jesus will bodily physically return one day to judge the living and the dead and that there is a heaven and yes there is a hell. These are enormous claims that when the church is bickering and exclusive and backbiting and unwelcome and ungodly and greedy and divisive and you just add your list of divisive ununiting comments that you can think of what we do is we make Jesus ugly to the world so the world goes oh yeah I know they say these things but just look at them they can't really believe it because of the way they behave But when they encounter a community that actually is the opposite, that they come in and they go, I've never seen anything like this. The way they care, the way they share, the way there's an honesty and a vulnerability, the way rich and poor, black and white, old and young are together. One of the most beautiful moments for me, Uh, was early on in my church life here and I've I've had many but I just thought this is a good illustration for today Uh, one of our night church guys Jimmy Roger who was integral in setting up the soup kitchen got married and I had the privilege of being involved in the marriage it was kind of it was a ridiculous marriage 350 people here it was a who's who of kind of stuff and all these kind of people of name and I remember Kamal he was the MC at the wedding (laughs) And on the day, Jimmy had invited all the people from Soup Kitchen to come to the wedding. And one of our church members was a guy called Noel Clark, who has died and gone to be with the Lord. He was homeless. And I'm not wanting to be rude or disrespectful in talking about Noel, but you looked at him and you could smell and see that he was homeless. And he would sit up the back every week. He'd often come twice on a Sunday. And Jimmy asked Noel to the wedding to come to the service. And my wife was up on the back door and Noel came in. And everyone's dressed up to the nines for this wedding. And the welcomers who weren't aware of this wanted to toss him out. And my wife said, no, Noel is invited. And they were really good. They said, oh, great, okay. And they got him a seat. And he came in. And I thought, this is what we're talking about. It wouldn't happen anywhere else because there was a unity there that was transcending the normal barriers that are in place in our society. And it was expressed in him coming, and Jimmy was so delighted that he was there along with some of the others from Soup Kitchen to witness his wedding. And he absolutely wanted him to be here. So how is it to be expressed? I'll give you four things. My time is up. I'll say very quickly. The whole thing about unity is it's about being united. It's about sharing together as one. As the Father and Son and Holy Spirit are one, so we are one. And so we share. And the word fellowship literally means to share, koinonia. And we share possessions, we share burdens, we share truth. We share failures. There's this sense of which there is this common life together. And it's what you see in the early church in Acts chapter 2. They had a common life together. They shared. They were united at the most practical of levels. There was no one without need. There was no also shame. There was a sense you could come with your failures. And there was this sharing of truth that you sat underneath the word and you learned together. There was this sharing of burdens. You walked with others through whatever you were going through. And that is the vision of church life. And let me just say, when that is alive and real in a church, that we share our possessions, our burdens, we share the truth, we share our failures, there is something incredibly powerful, so powerful it overcomes people's unbelief. Because they sit up and they go, what is this place? What is it on about? And it's the gospel. And through the gospel, we are one. I want you to think about that as you go away this week. How will you express your oneness with Christ and with each other this week? Let's pray. I'm just going to give it a moment to be quiet. Heavenly Father, we, we all come here broken from different backgrounds, different experiences. And Father, we lay them down before you, knowing that before you, it's only in Christ that we find our identity, our meaning, our life. We are your children. And may we express that reality in our common life together. That we are one, just as you are one. And I pray this week that all of us would have a moment, an opportunity to express that unique unity we have with those who are different to us. By caring, by sharing, by giving, by listening, by loving by being part of a community that is one. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.